Hey, host Tom Melville here. This is episode three of our Forgotten River series. So if you haven't listened to episode one and two, I'd recommend going back. Just a warning before we get started. This episode discusses suicide. If you need someone to talk to, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. We call it the Nachi. The story of the two Nachis when they came down through Queensland, across the Nutharangi, through Murawindji, down the Flinders Ranges, and they come back, and they come down and they created the water holes, the rivers, the creeks. And the two Nutchies, they went back and they laid to rest out at Whitecliffs. In Barkindji Dreaming, the Nachi, you might know it as the Rainbow Serpent, created everything to do with water. Without the Nachi, there is no river. Without the river, there are no Barkindji. Owen Wyman, Uncle Owen, they call me. Barkindji Mullingapa man uh, from Kenya. On the mighty Barker. White men call it the darling, we call it the Barker. Barker means river, and Barkindji means river people. Uncle Owen is a Barkindji elder who has lived in the remote town of Wilkenya, on the banks of his people's beloved Barker, his entire life. Well, there's a song there that says, you know, when the, when the river's down, the people are down. When the water's up, the people are up. I suppose you could say that even when, you know, I was a young fella, everyone would be out on the river fishing and spending a full day out there. The town would be quiet as. Sadly, in the last few years, we couldn't do that. We couldn't go fishing and practice our cultural ways. You know, the kids couldn't go practicing their um, traditional... Um, hunting ways on the river where, where they with their rock pools, you know, and, and to, to get their fish. You know, things like that there. And just being on the riverbank itself and just for peace of mind, just to sit there and listen to the old people tell stories. When the water went down, the, the people was down. They were sad. And you could you could feel it in the atmosphere, you could feel it walking around the town. You could feel, everyone, they felt it here because it's, it's our story. You know, not only the indigenous, but the European people do. They've got a lot of connection, you know, a lot of them, generation, the farmers, the generation, generations from along the farms. And they've felt it too, the hurt and the sadness, you know. I suppose they'd say the same thing. They never ever thought this river would go dry. It was a mighty river. It was car painting day in Wilkenya when I met with Uncle Owen. Half the town turned out to paint their cars in the colour of the two local rugby league teams, the Wilkenya Boomerangs and the Pantu Warriors. The next day, they'd face off in the district grand final in Broken Hill, the first time the two Wilkenya teams had made it to the final in years. This was before the recent New South Wales lockdown. Only a few weeks later, COVID-19 would breach this small town. At the time of this podcast's release, around 15% of the town had gotten sick. But on that day, there's excitement in the air. Kids gather round each car, painting team names and red and blue handprints. They take a shine to photographer Dion Dragopoulos, and at one point he has about five small children hanging off him as he tries to take pictures. They also get a hold of my recorder and have a play. Make a fart sound for me. Make a fart sound for me. I'm Tom Melville, and this is Forgotten River, a Voice of Real Australia series on an outback tragedy, the death of the Darling River. 
So far, we've travelled to Menindee, where drought, upstream irrigation and mismanagement resulted in one of Australia's largest ever ecological catastrophes, the deaths of millions of fish along the Darling River. Then we went to where the Murray and the Darling meet at Wentworth in southwestern New South Wales, down dirt tracks through the red earth and saltbush country to meet with farmers and locals at Pooncarry, where the river ran dry for more than two years. This episode, we're going to focus on the Barkindji people, who have called this part of the world home for more than 40,000 years, fishing the water of the Barker and hunting the birds and animals that rely on it, to ask the question, what happens to the people of the river when the river dies? I've pulled a silver fish out of the weir for yabby bait. So I stabbed a couple of holes into the silver fish and all green slime come out of it. There was no red blood, it was just all just green slime. So that's the sort of effects what's happening to our fish, you know. And it's poisoning them. You know, even the kangaroos, they go down and drink on the river. You know, I've got stories of Myself, when I was a little fella, my grandmother sent me down to the riverbank, you know, go and fill the billy tin up. And you was able to lean into the river and drink straight from the river. You wouldn't dare do it now, you know. And that's how much it's changed. The road to Wilcannia from Broken Hill takes you through the shattered edge of the bright red and resource-rich barrier ranges. Just to the west is South Australia, to the east the lowlands which make up the Darling River floodplain. Tell people you're going to Wilcannia and they'll probably ask you why. It has a bad reputation and a lot of people told me it's the sort of place you roll up your windows, lock your doors and drive straight through. Which is a shame because it means people miss out on being shown a remarkable part of the country by representatives of one of the world's oldest living cultures. I guess sense of relief, like mentally, like you feel better to be on country and connect with your family again here. Yeah, it's real lovely. Like a lot of people say, oh, I wouldn't move to, you know, Bulkenia, it's a dangerous community, but there's nothing like that here. It's a beautiful place. Everyone's lovely. Whether you're white or black, doesn't matter where you come from. You're just so welcome here. Natalie Andrews is a Barkindji woman who grew up in Wilcannia but lived in Sydney for most of her adult life. She now works at the Wilcannia Central School, right over the road from the showground where kids are painting cars in team colours, red and orange for the Warriors and red and green for the Boomerangs. She tells me how important having water in the river is to the town. Oh, it's very important. Like, when we came out last year, there was barely anything in it. Like, you literally go stand at the bottom of the river... And then slowly when it was coming up, like you could just feel the hype, like going up, everyone was so happy and all the kids were talking about how they're going to jump off the bridge again, like they can't wait to do that once it's full. But because it was slowing too much, they couldn't do that, so they were waiting for the flow to slow down. But then by the time that happened, all the water went to Menindee, so they didn't even really get the chance to do that. It dropped really quickly, didn't it? It did, yeah, way too quick. We're standing on the edge of the local footy field. The grass is long and healthy, bright green. Kites circle overhead, buffeted by the heavy wind. There's a carnival atmosphere here. Cars pull up and a swarm of children descends, covering vehicles in handprints and slogans. So far, this place is not living up to its dangerous reputation and Natalie doesn't regret coming home for a moment. I think everyone's so connected here. Like Everybody is literally like almost related in this town. Um, and everyone really helps each other out. Like, since I got here, like, everyone's like, well, you're right, sis, or do you need some kangaroo or emu or we'll take you out bush. Like, 
or do you know what this type of plan is or that and I'm like no and I'm like oh we'll come over and we'll go out and you know have a look around and show you because um, my grandmother lived here my great grandmother lived here so I always heard about Wakenya and they all had good experiences here so I wanted to come live here and experience that as well it's got a lot of uh, excitement in the air with the, the families, you know. Yeah. So I just doing both teams of my car to be on the safe side. Auntie Karen is one of Natalie's colleagues. She lived in Newcastle for the last 20 years, but eventually found her way home. The game's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. It's in Broken Hill tomorrow, yeah. so they're all very excited about it. Yeah, I'm getting that vibe. She used to come home for visits and remembers the barker a couple of years ago at its worst. I don't think you can sort of really do much, you know, being that far away. Um, you know, you're just seeing it just declining and, you know, I came back when it was at its worst and and being so green and stuff and it was really, really sad, you know. The, to see the um, small animals along the side of the river, uh, sorry, along the side of the river, you know, dead. Um, but also uh, when you're driving out here, you know, you've seen less of your native animals and... Um, and those that you did see were quite frail and, and weak on the side of the road, you know. You, my daughter was, you know, just about in tears, like wanting to uh, stop and, and stop and leave water for all of them, you know. But I said, babe, we do that for one, you know, we'll never make it till we're Kenyan back, so. The water came back and the whole town was transformed. This oval, where kids are playing and teens are kicking a footy around, is watered from the river. So during periods of drought or low flow in the river, the oval goes dry. It goes rock hard and becomes pretty dangerous to play on, unlike the vivid green it is today. After the recent minor flood, Auntie Karen reckons the Barker water level dropped a lot faster than she remembers it used to. You know, the, the banks were falling away because they sucked it out so quick and the, the soil was soft and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hazard for, like, looking, looking at the, your big gum trees falling in, you know. That's why they're on a lean. They're sucking it out too quick, it's, you know... It's fallen away too quick, you know. How does it affect the people, do you reckon? Well, people people aren't getting down there because you know they're not seeing it at, a, at its at its you know when when it get, got to a tie, it's like everybody's going to see it. But when it goes down so quick, you know that's very sad for people. Wilcania is not a place politicians usually bother canvassing during elections. It's a tiny town. Only 745 people lived there at the 2016 census, most of them Aboriginal. It has a faded grandeur about it. Colonial sandstone buildings and wide boulevards speak to a past in which it was a queen among Darling River towns. 13 pubs, 3,000 people, and one of the busiest ports in the whole country. The centre lift bridge remembers a time when paddle steamers navigated the water from Brewarrina to Pooncarry, carrying wool and supplies. Now it's mainly used by local kids to jump off when the river is up. Those heritage buildings are in varying states of disrepair. Some are boarded up or fenced off, and the town has the dubious distinction of being one of New South Wales' poorest and has a life expectancy of only around 40, half the national average. Like downstream in Pooncarry, the river stopped flowing here. What little water that remained in the river was thick, soupy and green for months. Yeah, you're listening to 103.1 FM, Wilcannia River Radio. Time now is 40 minutes past four. Got a couple of people here standing and watching me. I'd like them to say hello. Would you like to say hello? 
How's it going? I'm Tom Melville. I'm from Canberra, from the Canberra Times, visiting Wilcannia River Radio today with a couple of colleagues. The radio announces there are Gugu Yellenji man Brendan Adams and Barkindji woman Lee Hinch. No, well, whatever. I don't like to predict what's going to happen. I just like to say I both teams have a good game. And I hope you're getting the sense that footy is big in town. I should add that it's actually three Wilcannia teams playing on the weekend we come through. A women's team also made their final in Broken Hill. I don't like to predict who would win, but one thing I can say, they'll bring the cup home to Wilcannia, and that, that's what counts. Brendan came down from far north Queensland 20 years ago as the leader of an Aboriginal dance troupe and just stayed. He married a Barkindji woman and is now manager of Wilcannia River Radio, the local community radio station. So, basically, this is the Barka. You know it as the River or Darling River, but in language, in Barkindji, it is the Barka. After his shift, Brendan takes us outside and shows us Wilcannia River Radio's logo painted on the wall. Three C-shapes, each nested inside the last, made from different coloured dots, hugging a wave of blue dots flowing off to the side. The dots around are the elders. The dots inside are men and women. And then, of course... The yellow is our future, our young people. So we did it where it shows our community, part of the Barker, and that's how we can. And our saying, motto, keeping it alive, because we fight every day to keep everything alive in our community. I guess all we can do is sit down and maybe share the glory days, but we always still get that hope in our heart to say, yeah, we are going to have it back, and that's why mm. us at the radio station fight so hard. Rob Clayton is a broadcaster who works alongside Brendan at the radio station. He believes radio is an important tool to help keep his community alive. Radio is a good platform for a voice for the community because we've, through media, and by us getting that out there and we still continue to fight, and that's why we always involve the young people and we always have a big concern for our elders. Like Just recently we've lost our oldest living elder and... You know, and I don't want them to think, oh, that because now that we've lost one elder, that the voice is not going to be there. It's our job now to keep carrying that on. During the drought, Wilcannia River Radio played a massive role in looking after the community. The river dried up for months on end, leaving nothing but a sandy riverbed, dead mussels and fetid, claggy water. You come out of the, wa- out of the shower feeling more dirty than you did not coming only, in. Not only that, there was babies that With were getting... Sauce sores all over their bodies. Rob tells me that like a lot of people along the river, they wouldn't even use the water to bathe. My daughter, when she was first born, because of what we did at the radio station with the water, we used to just bathe our kids in in that water because we couldn't trust the water that was coming out of the bores and all of that because we had no water in the river. Water was getting trucked into this community. Thousands of bottles of it. Brendan, Rob and their colleagues from the radio station would pick up a crate of water at the end of their shift and drop it off at elders' houses around town. Most of the water was donated from private sources because government assistance wasn't enough on its own. There was parts where government was doing it, but it was like a little band-aid. They wouldn't even help if we didn't stand up ourselves and make it happen. So, yeah, it really it did hurt us a, a lot. But Robert said one thing clearly um, when we received an award um, in uh, Melbourne was that he remembered uh, when he was young that the elders looked after him. So for him supplying the water for his elders, it's still our traditional role and our ways to look after our community. So for us, it was 
just doing what we knew was right for us. The award Brendan is talking about is the 2019 Tony Staley Award for Excellence in Community Broadcasting, the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia's top prize. They were surprised and grateful, of course, but for Rob it was never about the awards. Yeah, my reward was just being grateful from the elders that at least someone's still looking after us and our tradition is still alive where we always look after each other. I got the radio station when we knew that we wasn't going to get help or government was going to be really, wasn't too much of a big support. We just come up plans after plans after plans and just fought until our elders are looked after. Elders carry a lot of knowledge, a lot of history and a lot of keeping our tradition alive and if that doesn't get looked after and passed on, it slowly, it slowly yeah. died. That's why elders are always a big passion for me with looking after them. The Barker is central to the lives of the Barkindji and the people of Wilcannia. Their culture is a living one. Stories are told on the riverbanks in the shade of the red gums as fish are whipped from the water, as people dive down and shuck mussels from the riverbed, as ducks or roos or emus are hunted. Brendan says that when water is in the river, those stories can be told again. One of our kinesthetic ways of learning you know, that we have done for hundreds of thousands of years was, you know, that we were shown what to do, how to carve a canoe out of the tree, how to, how to even know what time of the day to go looking for kangaroos. We had to look, learn, you know, all that. So our elders was the ones that's teaching us. And when it's not there, how can they teach us? They can tell us, but it's not the same. So that's what I'm saying. When, when that water does come down like we had in the love, last flood our elders were the most active they went let's go out camping my son got to have time with his grandfather just to start learning you know they went out emu egg hunting you know because it was at the same time that was happening so my son was getting to learn off his grandfather but now my grandfather just sits at home because there isn't anything you know we're lucky there's still water here but four months from now if you come back here that's going to be dry as part of the land we're standing on right now. But it's not just a traditional way of life that's being damaged. Rob says being able to whip up a feed from the bush and the river is extremely important when you live in a remote community and the nearest supermarket is hours away. I grew up fishing and swimming and camping along this river and for me not to be able to do that with my kids is like a passion that's gone away. I desire that for my kids to grow up doing exactly what I did along the river and one of the main things is this river used to be uh, our main food supply. Uh, if we run out of meat, it's OK, we'll go down the river, catch five fish, there's feed for our family. Not only does it, we get fish, when the river's up, our kangaroos come back. Mm. We've got kangaroo meat and then our emus come back. Because it's a remote community and because the shopping is here so hard, it, it's hard to get to Broken Hill sometimes, but we've always got the reassurance to say our barker takes care of us. And that's the importance of it for me. And and Mm. I've always wanted my kids to know that, to say, okay, if I'm ever struggling, can't get over to Broken Hill, can't get a feed, my father taught me that I can still get something because uh, this river will still be there for us no matter what. But because of cotton farmers, they sort of stripped that privilege away from us. When the river is down, Brendan says the community can't come together like it should and that they only really meet up for funerals. Apart from not having drinking water and shower, but things that our people love is social inclusion. And one of our major social inclusion is playing sports. Now, what's one simple thing that the water does supply is the oval. And if there's no water to that oval, that oval cannot be looked after. 
and our people cannot come together to play football, cannot come together to celebrate. So the only time our people are coming together is, is for the um, grief and loss and sorry business, you know. Brendan says the river has been stolen from his community by upstream irrigators, the same cotton companies that everyone I've spoken to along the Barker believes get prioritised over communities in the environment. This is a transgenerational drama. This is a transgenerational genocide. Government's got to help us by giving our rights, our justice. Instead of fining those cotton thieves up there, jail them. They need to be jailed. And if you ever break into a house, right, what happens is that that house gets victim compensation. You know what? This community is a victim to those cotton growers. We should get victim compensation from them. They owe us for what they have stolen from our people. Not to say you get fined, get fined $200,000 when they've got $4 million in their pockets. What's that going to do? Nothing. And they will continue thieving because you know why? They can continue paying these fines on. This small, mostly Aboriginal town doesn't factor into decision-making much. Policies are written in the centres of power in Canberra and Sydney and they live with the consequences. People in this town die over water, or the lack of it. And what worries Rob is the fact that it's getting worse, not better. That's always in the back of my mind is like, OK, 15 years down the track, are my kids going to have this? Are they going to be have the privilege to come down fishing and, and still keep our tradition alive by living off the land and not only living off the fish, the mussels. And we used to have different fish. We used to have catfish, we used to have black brim, we used to have cod, and we can barely get that yeah. anymore. Yeah, yellow belly, yeah. Like Uncle Owen says, when the river is up, the town is up. When the river is down, so is the town. For Will Kenya, the river is tied to crime, domestic abuse, drug abuse, fights and suicide. If they can't fish or go out on country camping with their mates, they suffer physically. But without this, all they're doing is they're walking down the street. If they haven't got anything where to go, they've got nothing to do. And unfortunately, this is where the psychological trauma comes, the pain of the grief and loss, you know, the depression. Our people have got no employment. We're living in uh, housing that's got, you know, 16 people living together, you know, because, you know, we're overcrowded. And that's why, once again, when that water is up, it gives them that escape. It gives them that pleasure that we're not having anymore. Cheryl and Barb in Menindi talked about the healing power of country. No river means no reason to be on country. When I visit Wilcannia, there is a carnival atmosphere, but Brendan paints a bleak picture of a town in despair. We went through, what, six funerals, and one of them was, as Robert said, was a funeral of our oldest elder, right? But guess what? We've lost, I won't say the names, but very respectful, we lost a young man at 23, right, only two weeks ago, right? And we lost another, another brother who was... 48, right, and all that. So, you know, our people are driven to drugs and alcohols because of the way that we have to live on a low economy base, you know. This is a welfare community perception because we have service providers coming in here thinking they can save us. To save us is is not what we want. We, we know how to look after ourselves, but we need the rights to have all of this so that our life expectancy can change. So our life expectancy isn't because we're killing ourselves. Our life expectancy is because everything around here is it's killing us. 
Our rights have been destroyed. Our life has been taken away. The Barkindji own this land, literally. The Barkindji native title claim, the largest in New South Wales history, stretches from near the Queensland border in the north all the way to the South Australian border in the west, the Victorian border in the south, and beyond the Barker itself in the east. It's staggering in size. Almost a fifth of New South Wales is Barkindji country. There are the craggy foothills of the Barrier Ranges, the Mallee Scrub, the Saltbush country, and the river itself, dominated by those grand old red gums. The only thing it doesn't give them rights to is the water. That's still owned by irrigators up north. So a few of your boys are playing on the team as well? Yeah, well, my three sons and myself, we were still going at 40 acres. Well, the, the Indigenous Party came about all because of the destruction of our, um, our river, the Barker. Um, we've had several marches, and the last one was a blockade on our bridge here, and we've invited other towns, communities to um, join in with the blockade to try and get government's attention. And... Government wasn't listening. So after we'd done the blockade, I thought, what, what's next, you know? So we, the marches and the so blockade I, Uncle Owen is talking about are a point of pride in Wilcannia. In 2020, when much of far western New South Wales was still in drought and the Barker was still dry, locals blocked the bridge from traffic. The barrier highway runs through town and is a main transport artery for the west. About 60 people spent a day making their voices heard before police moved them on. Uncle Owen wants people to be proud of the community, to be heard. And well, Kenya's always been ignored through my lifetime growing up. You know, um, it's about time someone got up and make a make a noise, I suppose, and get the government's attention. Saying you know, enough is enough. You know, I've got a lot of rich, you know, European history as well as Indigenous history in Kenya, and. You know, the only way small communities do get on is everyone's got to unite and be together as one. There's no black, there's no white. It's, it's, it's together. It's one mob when, when it comes to small communities. Uncle Owen recently started the Indigenous Party of Australia with other Barkindji people as part of the campaign to save the river. Right now the party is focused on the Barker, but membership is open to Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, and Uncle Owen sees it having a broad appeal. He tells me why he thinks Aboriginal people need to be heard. Because we speak, we speak from the heart, from thousands of years of knowledge that's been passed on to generation to generation. And that's why it's, it's a definite to have Indigenous voice that can't be held accountable in separate parties. That's why you can have your own party, so you can be that voice for the people. It's a very important issue that we have the Indigenous people stand up and, and talk on behalf of the land that we've lived on so many thousands of years. And Uncle Owen is committed to being that voice. If the Barker were to die completely, what would happen to the Bakanji? Well, I had to say it, we'd die with it. You know, simple as that. Does that frighten you? It frightens me a big, big lot, a big heap. And that's why we've formed this Indigenous Party because we've got kids, you know, the next generation, we've got to worry about the next hundred years. What these kids got to put up with and all the pollution that's going on and the destruction of the land and the waterways 
if we don't start now, there's going to be nothing for them in the future. You know, these stories, what we got, it'll be a myth to them if we don't do something now. And that's why we have to act. One more, more game of football, that's all it is. One game, Uncle Owen is elder, politician, river campaigner, and also local rugby league player. He's playing in this year's final with three of his sons. All year we had one thing. Better than any other team is our defence. You know? And we've got to do it tomorrow. We've got to... We've got to don't worry about the try. These are the Will Kenya Boomerangs, Will Kenya's original rugby league team. Uncle Owen played for the Pantu Warriors over the last few years, but wanted to finish his career at the team he played with when he started. He introduces us to some of the players, his son Owen Jr. and another player, William Jones. Young blokes enjoying a day playing footy with their mates. William tells me the health of the barker impacts them just as sharply as their parents and elders. Yeah, when I went dry, I was real sad. It's like we lost that connection with the river now. Like, now we've got water back up. They like, we haven't got that connection I haven't used to. I've never even been to the river ever since we yeah, That's the main thing, you know, for me as a kid, I know like the river, you know, when the river's up, the town's up, you know, when the river's down, the town down, you know. Owen Jr. is conscious that the river goes down a lot quicker than it should. Every time we do get a big flood, you know, the river's up, but then we always know a couple months down the track it's always going to, you know, get drained again. That's always not going to last. It's always going to get drained. It's been happening now last, I don't know, since I've been growing up. You know, we get a good flood, a sunny last, I don't know, probably not even 12 months, and it's gone again, you know. When the river is up, the town is up. It also means you can jump off the bridge again, a treasured pastime of generations of locals. Yeah. There's a lot of snags and, like, logs and things in the river. I'd be worried that I'd break my leg. <laughs> no, no, when the river come up, was you know you got to wait for it to get up high enough, high enough. Yeah. And if you stay sticks, you know, like jumping you know, jump, a couple of minutes. I, I jump off and then you got to, you know, you got to climb back up the cylinders. The fun part. I remember one time when, yeah, no, I mean William, yeah, when we climbed back up and I couldn't reach the top one to get up the bridge, and William he held me in, held me in. When I took the step, I slipped and I fell, but he had me and I swung out. Off the bridge, oh, <laughs> yeah. And he had me, I was like, ah, oh, William, don't let me go. <laughs> and he pulled me back in, and oh, frightened me, yeah. I couldn't get up the bridge, I had to climb down and swim to the bank, yeah. Yeah, that was just the main thing about the river, all the memories we got today and that, you know. Yeah, you can see they all died, tell you about the river, a lot of stories. At the moment, Will Kenya is in the news because of a COVID-19 outbreak raging through western New South Wales. It was on the periphery, forgotten about, so getting people vaccinated and keeping them safe weren't high priorities. I suspect when the illness is eventually beaten back, at what cost to local lives you have to wonder, this place of 700-odd and its mighty river will once again fade from view. The sense I think we have of Will Kenya is that it's a hopeless place, but that couldn't be further from the truth. These are people as dedicated to their home and to their culture as anyone, and the Barkindji will not stop fighting until the river the Barker, their blood, is protected. Oh, and the Pantu Warriors won the match. (laughs) 
on the next and final episode of Forgotten River. If our city folk had to even live one day in that, the whole country would be in uproar. But because we're a minority voice out here, we're minority people, it's just really hard to be heard. I talk with the New South Wales Water Minister, the Irrigators Council and station owners about what people we've met along the river blame for destroying their communities, floodplain harvesting. They believe that getting rid of floodplain harvesting would solve everyone's problems. It wouldn't. That was episode three of Forgotten River, a Voice of Real Australia miniseries. To hear the rest of the series right now, search Forgotten River in your podcast app. Voice of Real Australia will be back next week. For more stories from the Darling, to see the gorgeous photos of the place or watch the videos, head to your local ACM news site such as the Canberra Times. This series was reported by me, your host, Tom Melville, and writer John Hanscom, with pictures by Dion Georgopoulos. Production, mixing and sound design by Laura Corrigan. Our assistant producer is intern Ethan Hamilton. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. This podcast is recorded on Ngunnawal and Ngambri country in Canberra. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and James Joyce. This is an ACM podcast.